Hello legends and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. At Cub, we say we're your business family and that's truly what we mean. When you join Cub, you have the power of the entire community behind you, pushing you forwards, taking your business to the next level, just like your family would. Today's guest, I'm catching up with my very good friend, Dr. Nikki Goldstein, Australia's most well-known and, in my opinion, the best sexologist in this country. We had a brilliant conversation. We discussed the sex industry as a whole. For example, did you know that it's the most profitable industry on the planet? I actually would have guessed that one. Um, it was a politically correct minefield for me, trying to navigate the whole thing. And Nikki, Dr. Nikki, taught me tons of new and important things to do with sexuality and uh, the industry and, and issues that people are, are currently experiencing. So I learned a lot. It was definitely an entertaining conversation. I hope you enjoy the show too. And we're live. I'm sitting here with Dr. Nikki G. Probably the, well, no, probably, what the probably. fuck am I, what the fuck am I saying? The, <laughs> the, the best and most well-known sexologist or sex doctor? Sexologist. I mean, sex technically I'm a sex doctor, but ologist is more well, politically correct. Okay, sex, so what makes you a doctor? I have a doctorate in human sexuality and I do. Whatever anyone says, I have that degree. Is that right? Yeah. If I was ever going to be a doctor in anything, it would be that. <laughs> Do you know, I've had so many people say to me, did you just like have a lot of sex and then decide that you were going to be a doctor? And I'm like, no, like you actually study it. Like, it's actually I now a degree. Certified. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I just bonked my 100th person. I'm a sex doctor. Yeah. But there's a lot of sex experts out there that are like, I just have a lot of sex and I yeah. can talk about the subject, which there is a place for them in society because – Let's face it, when you do have a lot of sex, you tend to know about the subject a bit, yeah. but it's good to have that differentiation. Well, I mean, there's also merit to it. It's kind of like getting your driver's license. You know, you have to do 100 hours on your L's. Exactly. To then have your P's. Yeah. So have we done both <laughs> or just the doctorate? Well, let's just say when you study a doctorate in human sexuality, so I studied in San Francisco and part of the school in San Francisco is they encourage you to go out and experience the local culture as well because obviously San Francisco is such a, um, you know, culturally rich place when it comes to like BDSM and LGBTQI plus and, you know, all of that history. So Is it really? Yeah. So I you know go, super left. Yeah, but it's <laughs> – I don't know why and super it's so. I don't know, yeah, it, it is. That used to scare me. I don't Fuck. know why it's such a BDSM hub. And I actually want to hear more about the study aspect of being a sexologist and getting your doctorate. But what is a sexologist? So sexology is a scientific study of sex, and then underneath that, you've got different avenues that you can take. So you could be a sex therapist, you could be a sex researcher, or you could be a sexologist or a sex educator. So. Technically, where I sit with all of that is as a sex educator. That's my intent. Um, I don't have a private practice as yet. I come from a clinical background, but it just wasn't what I wanted to do with it. Like I didn't want to open up my doors and say, hey, everyone come and complain to me about your sex lives. I am working towards that, but in a different capacity to say a sex therapist. So 
by private practice, you mean have the little office, like a doctor, you have an office. Yeah, like a therapist, like a counsellor. And so what would I call up about? Um, my wife won't sleep with me or my dick All hurts. sorts of anything to do with your relationship, your sexuality, your sexual lifestyle. You know, a lot of people go to sex therapists because there's no one else to talk to about this stuff. So you might be facing some kind of sexual issue in a relationship. Maybe you're trying to overcome infidelity. Maybe you're struggling from premature ejaculation, erectile dysfunction, you know, vaginismus. Like the list is just endless. And a lot of therapists are not really good at tackling these more sex-related subjects because they don't specialise in that area. Yeah, you need a certain kind of training because it's something – it's it's almost more maybe not sensitive than a normal it's therapist. but taboo. Yeah, like yeah. the way you would communicate to get people. But wait a second. I didn't even know that existed. So I can go sex to someone – Yeah, I can go to someone's office be like, hey. You've been living under a rock. No, just – did you not Did watch Sex existed? Education no. with um, Gillian Anderson? No, I was one of the people on that Netflix. got my L's through experience. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many TV shows about sex therapists. Like Sex Education is a good really? one. Really? Yeah. And um, the guy that it's about, the kid, his mum is a sex therapist. So he grows up with this woman who continually runs like groups in the home about, you know, sexual pleasure and has all these clients and it's quite entertaining. But yeah, she's have a you watched? Therapist. Have you watched Meet the uh, Meet the Fockers with? Um, yes, like her, like her. She's Barbara, Barbara Streisand. She's a sex therapist, <laughs> oh, so that's what I don't do. So what's the difference with what you do, though? So there is no two days that are the same. So everything that I do has an intent to educate. So I do multiple podcasts, write books, articles, blogs. You might see me appear on TV every so often, radio. Um, I do a lot of online content. Then I created the online sex toy shop. Which and is now Dr. Dr. Nikki Shop. And that kind of was created because everyone was coming to me saying, what should I use? What should I don't know where to get this from? And a lot of the sex toy shops, you put in the word vibrator, like online shops, and there's between 400 and 7,000 options. And people just don't know what they should be buying. So I went, well, why am I directing everybody away to external sites? Why am I not creating an area with it which is really user-friendly but also has the information and education attached to it? So if you want to know how to use the toy, I've created that. So that was kind of born as a little sidestep from my sex education but still including that. And there's that trust. and I don't have to look through 400 reviews of vibrators. Exactly. I can just I choose the best of the best. Dr. Nikki shop. Uh, shop and there's yeah. ideally the best ones there. And I choose like body safe materials and everything that's kind of good for you. So as you go along with this ethos of education, then you – things happen and things, opportunities come around and you go, hang on, this is a really good avenue to do what I love. Um, I'm starting to work for a webcamming business, which has given me this opportunity to talk to hundreds of people at one time and present like a little chat and also interact with them. And I think, well, you don't have to get on TV anymore to, you know, get your get your thing on and say, hey, this is a topic I want to talk about when really you don't know how many of the people that you're speaking to are engaged. You know, it could be 300,000 people and only 10% of that audience actually gives a damn what you're talking about. On these online platforms, everybody that is tuned in is engaged in some level because they're opting into it. Because it's a payment wall, isn't it? So what's the one you're on, Jasmine? Jasmine, yeah. And and so the, the people pay to be on Jasmine – 
They're, well, they're, they're free. Um, there's certain payment elements. So you buy yeah. credits, same thing as webcamming in an adult site, and I'll go live two to three times a week. Um, you don't have to pay for that live, but people give you credits if they like what you're saying. And I think one credit is one US dollar and there's like point one five of a credit. So people can send you little things, which is nice because it means that it's a way of saying, I like what you're doing, keep going. But then you can create content that is free and content that is paid. So you find that balance between providing things to people of, hey, here's some stuff I think you need to know. And then every so often you create a video that is, you know, here's a, is this is one credit or two credits, but I never go above a few but, credits. But what I'm really getting is a difference between a therapist and a sexologist and correct me if I'm wrong, cause I'm normally wrong. <laughs> I is, like that. <laughs> is that the therapist, they're kind of educating a one, one person. Yes. So one on one, it's specific to you. Whereas a sexologist, you're almost an advocate or an educator of many. Yes. And a face of the industry yes, in a positive light um, across as many mediums as you can and, and kind of I guess your your business and, and your personal brain has really developed because it's gone from obviously being mainstream media, which has had some issues and, and that type of thing as a whole, as an industry, mm. and now you're saying you've really found a niche. Well, not a niche. You've just found, hey, it's better. Education is better in these I guess, online communities. Well, it's adapting because I never started off doing this with the idea of working in media. All I ever wanted to do was something that I loved and I came from a background of family mediation, which was divorcing people for a living, which is a really tough job. <laughs> so you when figured you're... <laughs> out we've got to fix the core root that people are getting divorced. Exactly. <laughs> we need to get them having sex. Exactly. Well, there was a lot of sexual issues that went on in, in these splits, but it's, it's a really tough profession and you're dealing with a lot of conflict, a lot of hatred towards each other. And I did have a moment where I went, you know, we're just not educated about this stuff, not only just sex but relationships as well. We're not given the options. We're just expected to fit into this mould. And that was what so many of my clients were facing. They thought that this was going to make them happy and yet I found so many of them really had what was going to make them happy. Like this whole mould of you date, you move in together, you get engaged, you get married, you have a baby. And not to diminish that for anybody because that does make a lot of people happy but there are a lot of people that don't want to do it in that order or don't even want to do that at all or they want to date somebody that isn't the person that would make their parents happy but makes them fulfilled. I had so many people in my office that felt that they had married the person that would be the ideal wife or mother or husband and father without actually stopping to look at what do they want, what makes them happy. So that's what fueled this idea of education, that we need more permission and empowerment to really explore what it is that we want. It was not a simple journey that sexology is the answer, but I did eventually get there. So so that's why you got in. One of my questions was going to be, why did you get into that industry? Well, that's where the, the the desire started and I gave up my job with nothing else behind me. I had my mother say Where were you me. working? I was working in um, Bankstown for Relationships Australia. Yeah, okay. Um, oh, was it? No, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, you'd I have moved a lot from of there. <laughs> I went from, so I went from Relationships Australia to Bankstown. Then I worked for Catholic Care in Sutherland. So I was between the city and the Sutherland office. So still family mediating. And I just got to this point where I was like, this is, this is not making me happy and I need to find something else. And I had my mother saying to me, don't give up your job without finding the next thing. And I had my father saying to me, 
yeah, go and explore what you want. It's like the the angel and the devil sometimes in my head, which balances out quite evenly. Um, so from there, I decided I was going to be a freelance journalist specializing in love, sex and relationship advice. Um, and I actually started up a sex toy website way back then because I had a blog and I got asked to review some sex toys and the person that gave me the toys had, she was the rep for a company called Lilo. Yeah. And she said, why don't you um, put these on your blog? Like we can help you out. And I thought, yeah, great. Whilst I was doing all that, I had found this degree. Um, originally it was a certificate in sexology and I thought that will help my writing work. Back then I used to work for FHM magazine. And when I went to they the school. Around? No, they went ages ago really? like everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> It was great huh? mag though. Um, <laughs> Your part was it? Yeah. Oh, I loved my part, <laughs> two-page spread. Um, but, you know, I started to when I was learning and, you know, doing this degree, I was like I really like this. Like this is something I find really interesting transferred into the doctorate and because I had this website selling sex toys, I was looking for PR because I knew that with the subject of sex, in order to become successful with that, I needed somebody to help me spruik it in the mainstream. I was taken into Channel 7 and I wasn't even finished my doctorate yet and I was I was told I had 20 minutes. That was all my meeting was, 20 minutes to kind of prove myself and what I was all about. I was like, okay. An hour and a half later, I walked out of there with a regular gig. And I wasn't from this world, so I didn't know what that meant. So like I just... Your media wasn't really your, your goal. Yeah, no, you're, you're I've never journalism. been on TV. You wanted to study journalism. You wanted to get better at the journalism side Wrong of the sex. Tick. Writing, sorry. Yeah. Well, so you started studying it. Yeah. Then how did you, then you got your, your sex toys website. You wanted yeah. to sell some sex toys, so you got some media. <laughs> It's amazing how life just happens, isn't you it? You just have to when keep you know chipping away at what right. you like. That's and, right. you know, I just kind of looked at it and I thought, and I, I had to keep going back and ticking off why I got into the job. You know, I was passionate about educating and empowering. So I think the difference with me versus a lot of other people that get into media, I looked at it and went, okay, here's an avenue where I can get on mainstream TV and talk about these subjects. And back in the day, they had me talking about some quite taboo topics. I was quite impressed by how far I could push it. These days would it be as taboo or is it more um, taboo back then? It depends. I think they've gone, kind of gone through stages where they're a little bit more conscious. But, you know, nine years ago, wherever it was, I was talking about sex surrogacy and all these kind of crazy things. And I was like, well, here's my avenue to educate and I get to do it on this mass platform. So for me, it ticked those criteria. It wasn't about I want to be on TV because I want to be famous. It was I want to be on TV because here is an avenue to start getting this content out there in the mainstream and building that credibility as a trusted expert that I'm the person to do it. Mm. And and what has it brought you? Like what I guess – it's obviously media fulfilling. or sex? No, not media. Not even sex. <laughs> not even sex. I mean, sexology. It's <laughs> <laughs> we all know what sex brings, okay? <laughs> no, but what has it brought you? I mean, because what you're explaining to me is an incredible journey of a, a career to a, a journey of a successful business happening from from you know, I guess not being in. You were kind of in the industry in relationship in relationship. Yeah. Um, Mediation. Mediation. Yeah. And then you just kind of found your niche in that industry. You found what you're really passionate about and then obviously you found that you're good at it and you just kind of kept going. And, I mean, are you so grateful that you've that you've kind of – was finding your passion what allowed you to get where you are? 100%. Because 
you know, when I go back to those days of first stepping into this as a career, you know, I was the kid that was always told I had a father that was very good at business and very successful and very driven, you know, came from nothing and he worked very hard and he always used to say to me and my brother, find what you love in life and then make a living out of it. Dad, I love sex. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite, but I do joke that I come from a family full of perverts. Um, (laughs) You know, I've got all these men in my family that are such boob men. But, you know, it was that thing of like find what you love and it (laughs) – Obviously the joke, you know, with sex, it's like, oh, did you love sex? It's like, no, I loved educating people about this area of their life because yeah. it was sensitive and it was taboo and I was good at talking about this subject. And there was probably a massive gap in the market. There yeah. probably wasn't anyone saying, hey, I want to own this and doing it in an incredibly uh, kind I of scientific I think in an, edu- in, in an educated way. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of um, experts out there yeah, who let me are show you sex how to, experts. Yeah, but and there's a place for them but there wasn't a lot of people that – it's a profession. Education. Yeah. It's professional. Yeah. I think that's what's so special. And there's just so many key lessons for business in that, your passion, finding a big gap in the market. You know, sex but is I had a big to industry. take a huge cut and it's taken me and this is probably, you know, the, a, a the asterisk. Ca- uh, like earnings cut? Exactly. Or? I mean I would – when I first started off, you know, the the hardest thing was having to ask for help financially because – it was this nature of I can either go and work in some kind of other capacity and for many, many times people would say to me, you should just take clients, like balance it out, do your media work on the side, take clients and you can funnel that through. And it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I knew that as soon as I stepped into the market of private practice, it would take me away from all these ideas and things that I wanted to invest myself into to be able to grow it as a business for myself So for a long time, I mean, I used to have these moments where, you know, I'd be going through my accounts and I'd be on the floor in tears and I'd go, why am I doing this to myself? Like year after year, it just was not making it, like it just wasn't working financially for me. And thank goodness I have a father behind me that kept saying, but you love it, keep going, you'll keep working it out. And he's like, you keep trying and you keep trying. And it's probably taken, I'd say, the last, Year, two years, I now could say I have a successful full-time job in this industry that's earning me How a long decent that living. Take? I've been going at this for nine There nine you go. Years. See, I love that because you, it, it's just, good things take time. Yeah, and, and you've got not, to make the sacrifice yeah, too. It's a sacrifice. Mm. You, to have the successful business, you have to sacrifice. And it may suck. You hear some people like, oh, you went up, made profit in the first month. Say, so shut the fuck up. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> I hate you. Yeah, get, get out. Um, but most of the time, you know, you're, you're, you might be breaking even. You might be losing the first two years. You might be breaking even the next two years. You might, you know, it takes time. And the way, the way I always look at it is the harder it gets, the more people have failed mm. and the more special you are for keeping going and the less of you there are going to be at the top, which means that the market is going to be yours, you know, it's going to be so the. And you develop that tough skin as well. Like I think the more you have those moments and there's been so many over the years where I've literally had to pick myself up off the floor and that might be because I realised things were not going where I thought they would go or you get these great contracts that fall through last minute or, you know, something happens like that. The more now it makes me a little bit more resilient where I do put myself out there and I go, okay, I'm going to give this a go because if it doesn't work, I know that I'm going to be okay because I know that I have the faith in myself that I can yeah. get over it or rebuild. Yeah, and it's the I think golden. it's really hard for a woman. Like I feel oh, really? really oh yeah. I feel like in business 
And I know there's a lot out there of this all empowerment, women in business yeah, yeah. and things like that. But I think it's a huge problem. We still undervalue ourselves a lot. You know what's so funny? We have our member, another doctor, <laughs> Dr. Aileen Allegato. Probably a medical Absolute doctor. Absolute legend. No, she's doctor. a psychologist. No, she's a clinical psychiatrist. Oh, wow. She's, she's brilliant. She's one of the best. She's got one of the highest kind of education degrees um, in the country for her for her thing. And she works mostly with, I guess, business people, things like that. She's been a member a long time. She's actually been on the podcast and she's incredible. But she did a, a – Dr. Aileen Alligato is her name. She did a talk at Cup once and she was talking about uh, – it was a, it was actually – it was for um, the Queens of Cup, we call it. It was, it was um, a lot of our female members came together and and the incredible businesswomen we've got at Cup came together and it was just an event for them to really get to know each other better. And uh, Aileen was talking about, and I can't remember what it was called, but it was, oh, no, I do, imposter syndrome. Mm. And it was how a lot of women feel like they're going to be found out, mm. like they're not actually as good as that they are and they've only gotten to a certain point, you know, not with their own kind of, whatever, and they feel like imposters in their position. And I feel like that's kind of what you're describing. Do you want me to share with you the hardest professional moment? Yeah. It relates to this. Yeah. Um, and I don't often talk about this a lot. So this is very special. Right? This is very special and it's on a podcast. So, and I can say it now because I've done my legal work. Mm. Um, at the end of last year, or well, I think it was November, October, November, I copped this huge backlash online. So I appeared on The Bachelor, long-term career goal. I love that show. And normally <laughs> I don't I'm, – I'm very careful branding-wise what I do um, because the problem is that you associate yourself with a TV show that, say, is wildly successful but can be perceived as rather trashy, not naming any names, and professionally it can sink you because you're associated with that. So when Bachelor came knocking, I was like, does it fit my filters? Is you know, And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I love it. So – Complete not a career highlight. I'm sitting there with Osha Ginsberg and I'm like, and I, and I know Osha, I've worked with him before, but in the capacity of The Bachelor, we're sitting there with, with Maddie and I was like, this is like a dream come true. Great experience, great team to work with. Um, after it aired, I had all of this backlash online in regards to myself, uh, my qualifications and representing myself as having a doctorate in human sexuality. Like people, um, and not all those people. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the hardest thing. It wasn't um, like the average person sitting at home. There was a lot of academics that decided to jump on this. Ironically, the person who led this was a doctor who specialises in mental health and started this on Are You Okay Day. So when you talk about imposter syndrome, you know, here I was in this position where I was just copying it left, right and centre and I'd had a lot of chats around the right way to, to deal with it and I was advised don't create a firestorm out of this. So like instead of taking to social media and calling upon all the people that love me to attack the people who are attacking me, it was like we just need to put out the fires instead of creating a firestorm. So anybody I was working with, I've got a, a fantastic lawyer who – put together all my qualifications really neatly in a nice package and all the legalities of how I'm using my term and all the doctorates and we got to send that off to corporate clients that we were working with at the time. The hardest thing was is I was not able to defend myself publicly. So I had to sit there and watch these tweets come through. Um, my brother would like <laughs> send them to me because I'd have to block people. And it was horrible because when you talk about, you know, thinking as a woman, am I good enough to be here? 
I had spent nine years of my life chipping away, working at this career and I'd finally gotten to a point and at that point things were going really well. I'd just been handed You're on your favourite show. <laughs> I said my favourite show. Not only that, I'd signed, I'd just finished um, a podcast with Audible. Mm. Um, it was a great thing. I'd just been given a book contract by Murdoch. They came to me for the book. So here wow. I was, it was it this career of this peak of my career and all of a sudden people were going, you're a fake. And it was horrible because it took so much, I think, you know, guts to really recover from that. And even when I have a look at the first draft of the book that I wrote and I had to edit it because it was sitting at 160,000 words and we needed it at 100,000 because I was, pardon the French, shit scared that people would come attacking me again once I put the book out. So I was kind of over explaining things and backing everything up with research. I hired myself a research assistant and I'd be typing away and I'd like, okay, I know that this study exists. I don't have the time to go and find it. Can you go find it so I can insert it? And then when I went back and read it, I was like, hang on, this book is out of fear. Not good for you the need reader. To, no, you need to mm. rewrite it and have that faith in yourself. So I had to go back and go, hang on, you have the faith in yourself. You know you are good at what you're doing. You have these people that reach out to you and tell you that. So to react from that point of view. But it, it's a huge thing when we, we ourselves, I think as women, do fear a lot of the time Am I like, do I val? Am I okay to be here? Like, do yeah. I have my position here? So when someone else attacks you, and it's one of the best life lessons because working in media, putting yourself out there, whether even if it's like online, there will always be people who will have a crack, and you need to be resilient against that. Do you know what's interesting about that though? They weren't, or from from what I understand, the most part, they weren't just your average civilians commenting they were other prof- people professionals in your yep. in your industry which only means they're, they're just fucking jealous like piss off and, it, and they, it was, they were just was saying a hard thing it yeah. was that's all it is why else would you tear down someone yeah. in your industry who's bringing awareness to you that could potentially drive you more business too other than the fact that you're jealous that they're getting awareness that they're not scared to be in this industry and they're out there doing something and doing something good for themselves and other people. They're just jealous. And you know and what it was too? I was a young woman. Yeah, and that doesn't you know, help. And that, that may not help in that situation. But that was something too. I, you know, not having, you can't really defend yourself on Twitter, right? And let's face it, I was all dressed up. Good but on, those, on job. those jobs, there's so much that goes into putting you together as you are. And mm. there I was standing up there calling myself Dr. Nikki Goldstein as yeah. a sexologist, oh, as a young woman, right? And I am 34, like I'm not 25, right? So I'm not like some baby that's doing this and know something about life. And I think that there was a bit of an insecurity from the first few people that started it because the first few people that started it were other women. And that's also to a sad reality of being a woman in business. There is support and I say support like this because I feel like there are groups that support each other and there are groups that appear to support each other but behind the scenes they tear each other down. Yeah. Well, I mean, could you say that – so I read a book once – it's, I'm just gonna, once, yeah. <laughs> just one book. No, once. I read a lot. Did you not see my library? Yeah, I'm going to show you this. Book what, is my book in your library? No, but what's okay, your I'm book bringing whatever. Date, single but sing, dating. Single but dating. That needs to I'm be in the library, yeah. and everyone needs to go and get that book. But I'm going <laughs> to show you uh, a book after this. It's called The Female Brain. Mm. It's by Louisiana Brinsdale. Oh wait, do you know her name? Yeah, the female brain and the male brain. Well, the female brain is the one I read. Yeah, but oh, the, I, I Louis, is it Louisiana Brinsdale? Is the book pink? 
Oh, I can't remember. I've got so anyway, I've got we'll I've got a great collection of sex books. Okay, if cool. You want to We're going to check. Okay. In the, it just basically talks about is she German? I don't know. Uh, Isn't it, anyone anyway, German? Everyone. Laura, Laura there is. But good and hard. But um, but um, she uh, it, she was exp- so she talks about the female brain a lot. It just breaks down why how women evolved, and she basically says that women have a very strong need to be accepted because. Um, it, and to be in relationships, I'm not talking about just male, but female relationships, because being together in a group was much safer in, you know, caveman days because mm. women in a group were much safer than, than a woman alone, particularly if angry um, uh, caveman male got home after being bit on the foot by a tiger and, you know, wanted to take it out on someone. When they, were, when they were in groups, they were obviously much safer and their survival rate was higher. So women's brains, uh, and I'm just repeating what this book says, they're more inclined to maintain relationships and to care more about what others think because they want to keep the relationship because breaking a relationship mm. could feel like death or it could have meant death when we were evolving. And they, uh, anyway, she was explaining, is this the book? Did you read this book or am I just talking? Absolutely not. I don't know. I've read a lot of books. Okay. So I can't right. recall well, everything. I'll every keep going. I want to roll right in my yeah, brain. But, this is interesting. But one thing she was saying is you can see that in modern modern day women, she, she used uh, teenage girls as a as a um, example. She was saying that when teenage girls fight, they don't confront each other. Mm. They go and they say things behind each other's back to their friends, and they and the reason they don't actually do it to each other's face, there's not that male confrontation of punching, is that they are worried about lo- about terminating that relationship. Mm. They don't want to lose that relationship. So they can do it from behind or, you know, in secrecy because they can avoid losing the relationship. They can deny it or they can do things. And so, I mean, that theory, it's obviously a theory. I don't know if it's a fact. but I think it's a, I think this, that's pretty spot on. Book, well, it makes sense. Yeah. I makes just don't sense. think – I don't actually think that we talk about it enough though. I feel like it's – you kind of got to acknowledge that it exists. It's different. You've, well, got, you've got to say that this is something that it exists – don't be ashamed of it as a woman, but it's yes. awareness. It's like be aware that yes. it's there, and then you can and work it's a your good way thing. around it. It's not a bad thing, is it? No, it's there for I a think reason. We're, we're good to do business with. Like when you say this, this worry about, um, you know, not having that friendship, not having that group. I like, didn't say that. That lady said it. Well, that lady. Okay. <laughs> Summary of yeah. the book. Before you start getting me fucking backlash. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think any anything that I do and I partner up with people, I'm always very conscious and cautious of who I'm doing things with because I hate the idea of having a somewhat of a friendship with someone and that being destroyed. And I think it's a huge thing with our networking as well. We want to all be supportive of each other. Yeah. Um, but there is a lot of that that goes on behind the scenes and there isn't as much support as I think that we portray there to be. I agree. And it's about being aware that just because you rock up to a group that is for women and is supportive of women, it doesn't mean that you're going to get out of it exactly what you want. Yeah, no, I agree. I I think there needs to be more education on the difference between the sexes. uh, Oh, you've got to be – okay, I'm going to correct you. Okay, correct me. Okay, so – my yeah. next book that I'm writing is a sex guide for young women. Okay. And I had this idea that, you know, it has to be inclusive of gender as well as sexuality. So the book doesn't assume how you identify as a woman or who you're having sex with. So I learned a lot when I was doing it because I reached out to a trans educator to have a look at this issue of gender. Between the sexes, 
assumes that we are a society only of men and women. And we're not. Right? What else are we? We have other categories of gender. Someone could be gender neutral, gender fluid, um, trans, questioning. You know, there's so many different ways that you can identify. So they call it heteronormative, which is like saying um, heterosexual men and women are superior above everyone else. What do they call it? Heteronormative. Okay. So this is what we have to be careful that what we're not doing because, you know, we need to be inclusive of how people identify and, and how people identify as a woman or a man or trans or fluid and they need to be incorporated in our terminology. So I, everyone goes, oh, my God, it's so exhausting because it's PC culture, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, but we should be educating people and pulling people up and saying, hang on, when you say, like someone said to me the other day, even on a meeting, they said both genders and I said, you know what? Because you're working with a sexologist, I'm going to help you out there. And I don't do it in an aggressive way. But I'm like, you know, think about when you say both genders, right? You're assuming that we're only men and women. You know, our generation, we're just not given the education around sex, gender, um, sexuality. Like it just wasn't really wasn't what taught. we wasn't Yeah, taught. We, but we didn't get it besides the birds and the bees and how not to get pregnant and not to die from an STI. Like that was well, I mean, they're, the, they're the essentials. I mean, that's they like are, getting yells. They are, but then there's other things that we just weren't taught about because who is responsible for giving us our sex education? Is it our parents, which they're probably nearly as clueless as many of us were? What are the what's another topic like that that's like a real big thing in your industry at the moment that everyone's talking about? Because I, I also want to talk about porn. Because I got I've well, let's down. jump straight to porn because okay. everyone always wants to talk about porn. I wrote a lot gets, of facts down about Porn these. gets a really hard time. It's, why did I say the word hard? That that sounds like the wrong word to no, me. No, no, porn, porn, porn always has a hard porn time. Porn is um, given a lot of responsibility for a lot of the – the things that go wrong in our relationships. It's pointed as the, oh yeah, because, you know, you've got all this research that says, you know, porn is what encourages teens to have sex younger and more aggressive sex. And even that we look at the rise of say um, anal injuries in young women, it's like, oh, because they watched porn. Now there is truth to that. Okay. Especially when we look at say the rise of anal injuries in young women, there is hundred percent truth to that, but it comes down to this other question. And that is, is it is it porn's fault or is it the fact that we don't have adequate sex education to support what people see in porn in order to be able to view that content and make sense of it? Wait, did you say that young women get anal issues because they watch, or because a couple watch porn and they try to reenact it? Yeah, because we're looking at a younger demographic that is learning about sex through porn so really- and they're thinking that they can have anal sex just like they do on porn and I have – been behind the scenes with this, not yeah. like too behind the scenes, but yeah. there is a lot of prep that goes into an anal scene. There's 30 million people every second watching porn. This I don't have any anal sex scenes that is yeah, it's watched. At least 28, or I don't know. 29 lot. million of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you're actually on set, so normally when you're on set, they do um, photos first. So you're all, the girls are all kind of dressed up and there's a photographer there because it's those photos they'll use for promos and stuff like that. So one set that I was on that was called Interracial Anal 2. Never saw Interracial Anal 1 but don't feel like you have to. Um, so the girl was on set, she's having her photos taken and I see, this, yeah, I see this glistening, right, and she's kind of squatting and taking this photo and I see this glistening from her behind and I was like, huh. As we're on set, ready to go, she takes like, puts her hand behind her bottom and pulls out this huge glass plug because in the porn like they're not showing all the the things that happen for anal sex there's no time for that right you want to get into the action so out walks this big 
muscly black guy and I'm like, wow, he's giving it to her. And we get into interracial anal too. Now, if you look at that and say that you are a young teenager that's exploring, experimenting with their sexuality, you look at that and you're going to think, well, they're having sex because it's not it's not like the the movies in the sense that we all look at these these scenes that are done and think, well, we can do that too. We know when we watch Fast and the Furious, or I should say most of us know when we watch the Fast and the Furious, that we can't get a car hanging out of a plane as it's taking off Ooh, and running off. I don't it. know about that. I say most, right, because <laughs> <laughs> not everyone. When people look at porn, right, they go, well, I can have sex and they're having sex so I can do what they're doing. They're real people. So people look at those scenes and think, well, I should have anal sex like they're having and, okay, so he just sticks it in and starts really going for it. So without all that preparation, with that stretching, with the lubrication, because you don't see the lube bottle popping in an anal scene, it's just pre-lubed. They use lube shooters to shoot it in. Um, that's where you get a lot of people ending up with anal injuries or really uncomfortable experiences from anal because we don't have that education because we are fearful of educating teenagers about sex. And that is, I guess, your understanding of a big gap in your market, in your industry. And that's where you're trying to feel. I'm slowly, I give you a high five for that one. We are, I am slowly going down. I always thought um, career-wise I was kind of going more relationships and I still am but with this next book about um, being a sex guide for young women, you know, now it starts to get a little bit earlier and earlier. All my friends have kids that are around that nine, ten years mark and they're calling me up at such frequency going, oh, my God, I need to talk to my daughter or son about their body and the changes. What do I do? What do I say? And you start to realise that this sex education that we need for a younger generation needs to be starting at those ages. And just because I do want to focus on the business side of yes. porn yes. because it's one of those, I mean, the sex the sex industry as a whole is known as the oldest industry of all time mm. or oldest profession, sorry, of all time is what it's famous for. And now I've written down, I've taken the liberty oh, I like of this. You could be down, my new research assistant, check you know. Check this out, 100% I could. I research, hear facts. research some porn. Watch this. Okay, so interesting facts. Do you know what year the first porn movie was made? First no, but I've, I've seen it. It's French. Black and white, yep. Yeah. And they run around really fast and they're in the bushes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I've actually got research. it. I it's think I've got it on DVD. Made in 1896. <sighs> and he was a French director. Yeah. And when he realised how many people were buying this, whatever, however they were buying it back then, he was like, shit, there's big money in this. And so he started creating porn. So thank you, French people. And then <laughs> Bonsoir. we've also got so a couple other things you may not know about okay, porn. Okay, let's see. Did you know uh, at the time in the 1970s, um, VHS was versing Betamax to be the, I guess, video viewing um, How you technology of yeah. choice, right? And VHS won. And the reason they won was because porn chose to be on VHS, not Betamax. There so you go. thank you, porn. I didn't know that one. Thank okay. you. Porn was also the creator of online payments. Oh. And that heavily started uh, around the time of uh, Pamela. Anderson, Anderson and Tommy Lee's sex tape. That was like a very early part of it. And uh, what else do I have here? The sex industry is the most profitable industry in the world. So if you want to get into business today, like yourself, 
if you want to be the next Dr. Nikki G, get into this industry because it's the most profitable industry. <laughs> Just don't be my competition, right? No, Work no, with me, no, not we'll against squish me. You, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we're supposed to be supporting other. Uh, yeah, other but I, this thing with women, you got to support yourself too. A hundred percent. Yes, to put your foot and down. And that's what men do well. Yeah, they I'll take my themselves. masculinity on that one. Yeah, good on you. Um, Thirteen thousand porn movies made each year. And they grossed $13 billion, those 13,000 movies. Do you want me to tell you another stat in there? I don't know the exact thing, but there's a myth that porn- In there. In there. <laughs> in my notepad. Yeah. <laughs> there's this whole myth that the porn, that porn created the internet, right? That yeah. That's what was born. Really what it's about was internet speed. It spread that, the internet. That's what happened is that with downloading porn on the internet, they realised that they needed faster internet speed and that's how we got this- Fast band. What I don't know. I'm yeah, not a tech super person. Super fast. It's yeah. because people need to download porn. Yeah, God exactly. And um, oh, I should not have said God bless it in regards to porn. Yeah, you can. You can Laura, be religious in a that, porn. No? I know Christian porn stars. Thank you. Really? Well, I'm mm. I'm, I'm I'm Catholic, and there you go. And yeah. not a porn star. I'm not a porn star. But <laughs> I'm also not uh, saving it for marriage. Yeah. <laughs> um, Catholic boy. Wait, listen to this one. The most po- most po- this is the first thing I said to you when you walked through my door today. <laughs> Hey, Nikki, did you know the most popular Google search term ever <laughs> is teen porn? I think you said that before you actually said hello. I did. As soon as you walked in, I was like, hey, Nikki, do you know <laughs> And in North Korea. Oh, here we go. Fucking King Jong. Un. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> watching porn is punishable up to the death sentence. Wow. What a shit country. It's still illegal. In China, you've got to have a VPN blocker. In China, everything's illegal. I know, but you've got to have a VPN. Rights are illegal in China. I think in Japan as well, you can have, you know, they have have the tentacle porn. Have you not? Oh, so there's this whole like anime thing where it's like this octopus and it's like he, he, you know, penetrates the woman. I think you might have to fact check this one. Oh, like Pokemon porn. Kind of, but it's tentacle porn because I Mm. think seeing a penis enter into a vagina, I think it's illegal. So they use like this no. tentacle porn. Yeah. But see that? That's just innovation. I know. You know what? It's when pivoting a problem, before we had there corona. There is a solution. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. They pivoted like this no This is illegal other. so we're going to find a way around it. It's not it. a penis, it's a tentacle. That's actually quite clever when you think mm, about it. Go the Japanese. Yeah. And so the porn industry, it always gets a bad rap yeah. and rightfully so in some regards because there is a lot of – like there's okay. a lot of bad things that Let's happens in that industry. Let's say that there's two that sides. That there's two sides to the industry, right? You have the ethical, um, super successful, ethical, right? So a lot of the the big um, companies like who the Wicked, them? the who, Vivid. Who, who owns these companies? Oh, I've met with a lot of them. Um, one Are of the most fascinating characters. I'm gonna go brain like he's got um, blacked brazzers. Oh, he's this a guy French guy. He he's a French low. guy. He's Maybe he's the guy from the 1800s. So. No, 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 he's he's French he's guy. I, and again, I'm going to have to get this. I follow him on Instagram. He he's such an innovative character because he actually looks at the data and listens to what people want. And he has about four different porn labels underneath his name. And there, there's a big porn convention right in Vegas, and I went there. And I saw him. One of the Vixen is another one of his yeah, yeah. labels. Oh, right? he sold Vixen. You well, put me on name? to this guy. You told me about yes. him. Yes. Yeah, you told me. He's Come Vixen. On, he's trying name? to be the next um, Dan Bulzerian. Yes, he's And he he's started like Vixen, that. but he just so, sold Vixen. Ah, okay. So the Vixen yeah, in girls. In fact, you told me to follow him on Instagram. And now I do. I can probably find him. So, oh, so the Vixen friend. girls are like, um, they're Models. like the modern day of the Playboy girls yeah. kind of thing. So I rock up to, um, you know, the porn convention and he's got this big stage, Vixen. And all the girls, and they're quite, it's quite good with their branding. They're kind of like in this, like a little bikini thing and it's got Vixen Mm. and they have, I think every month they have like the Vixen girl and then they have the big one every year and they were announcing that 
And there were people just all around and he had um, fake cash. So it's credits for the site, Vixen. So he's up there doing this. And it was like going to a rap concert. Like it was quite interesting to look at how they do this as a business. And this is, you're talking about the top end. We're talking about these girls are professionals. They have businesses behind their names. They're not just some girl that's having sex on screen. So you have that aspect of it. And a lot of these girls are very empowered. They have shares in various companies. They're in control. If someone says to them, I need you to do this scene, they're not comfortable. They can go, no, that's that's not for me. You know, they have that that right. Everything's ethical. Everyone's tested. It's all above board. However, because we all have an iPhone and camera and the internet and there's all these sites that these tube sites that you can just upload anything to, you have this area of the industry that is completely dodgy. So at this porn conference, I can't believe I've lost the name of it. I've been a few times. It's called Porn Vegas. No, it's Vegas not XBs, it's not AME. It is so, AVN. That's yeah. it, right? AVN. It's off that movie Same Adult one. Video Network. Okay. So it's um there was what a movie What month is that on normally in Vegas? January. Okay. End of January. I'll take you one day. Cool. It's quite fun. I would actually really like to come with you. It's fascinating. So at AVNs, you've got all of these big porn companies. They go there with their stalls. They've got you've got some of the more little kind of homemade ones. You've got the big big brands like Vixen. You can meet porn stars. You can get signed merchandise. And the fans come. It's like a all big the deal. fans, and it's get quite. Photos. It's actually really respectful. I've been a few times, and I think there was a hesitancy at first. I was like, oh, what are these people going to be like? But everyone's just really happy to be there and meet these fans. It's yeah. like any other fan fest. But behind the scenes. Um, I was taken to a suite. It's normally at the Hard Rock that's now not at the Hard Rock. They've just moved. I don't know what hotel they're going to. But at the Hard Rock there used to be this suite called the Cupcake Girls. So they're a um, charity that is, you know, funded by various people within the adult industry. And these girls are a um, like a safe haven for girls that are being abused. So they, they're really cute. Like they've got body glitter on and they've got like braided hair. Like they kind of look like these hippie, you know, mm-hmm. fun girls. And the idea of this suite is that you go up there, there's a beautiful spread of like cupcakes and fruit. You can get your makeup done. You can get nails done. Like it's like a real girly suite. And it's quite clever. What it actually is is a front for um, like a counselling. So say I was running around the floor and I have seen this, and some guy is – because it's – in. I mean, in Australia, it's illegal to have a pimp, right? You used to have to be represented by someone. You just couldn't be sex working. In, in America, Australia. In Australia, right? Yeah, it Australia, is now. sex is legal in we're a brothel, quite, we're but quite not positive here. brothel, no? Uh, no, you can be an independent. You can be – just do your thing. Yep. But in America, you can have sex on camera, but you're not allowed to have sex no, with – various money. states, they don't have legalised prostitution. Yeah, they're, they're a bit of a conflicted society. They're very religious and they're not very religious in one sense. So there's a lot of people that rock up. I can watch you, I just can't do you. Exactly. That I do you but it's not legal and we're not going to talk about it. So, you know, you've got these guys that rock up. They've got vulnerable girls that maybe come from really bad backgrounds. backgrounds. They've been abused. They're there, they're pimping them out. They've got their small porn company and the girls are really there against their will. So say I'm running around at AVNs and I find one of these girls and I can say to her, Hey, oh my God, have you heard of the cupcake suite? Oh my God, let's go up and have a champagne and get our nails done together. All right. So that's how you can kind of introduce it. Like, oh my God, let's go up. They've got great little goodie bags. No, no, it's only girls allowed. Sorry, you've got to stay there. Let's go. You go up and then there are counselors there. So they still do have the hair and the makeup and all the goodies, but there are counselors there that can help them get out of bad situations. Wow, so that's they can an link amazing them. idea. It, it's fantastic because, you know, it's designed in such a way where, you know, if you are in trouble, right, there's 
there's a place there that we can get you out of trouble quickly. But mm. the point I'm trying to make is, is that that does still exist within the industry. I'm never going to say that the porn industry is completely innocent of that, but I do feel like there is the two sides. There's a definitely there's shady sides to all. I mean, there's shady people. Period. Yeah, look at politics. Yeah, they're all <laughs> fucked. That whole industry is shady. But there's shady people. Period. Mm. Doesn't matter what business a shady person is going to go in, they're going to be shady, right? So it exists in every in every business. The fact that the um, so typically in an industry, the government, these shady politicians, uh, are trying to clean up the industry. Whereas what porn has done is actually more noble. They said, wait a second, we're actually going to clean up our own industry because we want our industry to be respected and we want it to be and they legit. Do, and we they care about, and we also care about our, our, um, our people. We care yeah. about our, our actresses and actors. And, and there are a lot of resources. paid more men or women in porn? Women. Boom. I know. Big win it's the for one, the women. It's the one industry where women are generally paid more than men. Yeah, and, although I um, did read, I'm not going to lie to you, in my studies I did read the gay, gay, uh, gay men for pay. actually get paid more though. Gay for pay. So that's why a lot of heterosexual men will do gay do porn and that's why they call it gay for pay. Really? Yeah. I thought really gay for pay was when you're straight but you have sex with a man to get in a movie in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, it comes the same thing. Yeah, I learned right? that in LA. Yeah, so <laughs> there's, some, so there's some heterosexual porn actors that will do gay for pay. And, and do they get paid more than the women? Uh, that I don't. Everyone's on a bit of a different bracket, but generally speaking, if you're a really top name as a woman, I think mm. it's about $1,200 a day. Um, but it changes. That's not that much if you think about it. I thought no, they were going to get like 20 grand a movie. It, it changes depending on the, the complexity of the act pretty much based on the fact that there is going to be a recovery time. Like say for anal, if you were to film an anal scene one day, you're not filming an anal scene the next day. If you're filming a gangbang one day, it's going to take you a few days to recover. So you're technically not able to work. Yeah. Hey, you can't just go straight back in. But if you were say doing a lesbian scene and it was very soft and couples, what they hate the term couples friendly, but if there was in genre what of couple. couples friendly mean? So couples friendly is often it's sparked as being, you know, soft and romantic and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The problem I have with that genre, whether it's used in porn or sex toys or anything like that, is that we are desexualizing couples. Now you can be in a relationship and enjoy watching it's hardcore like porn with your partner. Exactly. There's nothing to say that just because you get into a relationship. All of a sudden, you, you, yeah, well, not even that, but I it's know, not even watching extreme, it. But that's the point, right? You and, you and your girlfriend might go, you know what? We both really love those orgy movies, so let's mm. watch that. Instead, you have the genre of couples, por- couples porn, and I feel like we should kind of relabel it as something as soft and sensual, because you might be a heterosexual man and you enjoy the watching soft and sensual. Okay, and what about? Um, oh, my question slipped from my mind. No, talking about couples. Mm. COVID has probably caused a big issue with couples at the moment. A large part of being a sexologist is obviously couples. Yeah. What advice do you have for couples who thought they were going to be banging out, banging it out <laughs> in the bedroom the past 10 weeks but instead they're trying to get divorced? Oh, give yourself a break. I mean it was so interesting because at the start of COVID um, – the demands on my work just skyrocketed. I had people contacting me all the time at the start. I had all all the way through really, but especially at the start because it was something new and all of a sudden you had the dating industry, you know, this hookup culture Mm -hmm. just stop. There's no way you could hook up with someone during COVID legally. And then you had 
couples that all of a sudden were faced with being at home together all the time. So the idea was that these poor people who enjoy hookups are not going to be able to hook up and all the people stuck at home together are just going to have a lot of sex. And it was interesting because it didn't really happen that way. I think for a lot of people, obviously, in the hookup culture, many people started questioning if there was a hookup, whether it was going to be safe, and that did stop and it allowed a lot of people it to... definitely slowed down, I'd say. Oh, yeah, it, but in a good way. It allowed people to explore themselves, to look at connections, to look at their lives, to kind of have that moment to breathe and kind of reassess what they wanted. Did Nocky... Did Nocky? Doctor. Did Dr. Nocky? DrNickyShop.com.au, did that go up in sales? Because I I've can had imagine. a really good steady run. Really? Um, because obviously people are at home and they're like, what do I do with my time now? Mm. Um, sex toy sales around the world. So COVID has, ca- has caused sex toy sales to go up. It's probably yes. caused porn to go up, no? Uh, it, it, I haven't actually seen that. I would assume so, but I haven't seen the data. I know that in Italy when it all kind of started in northern Italy, I think it was Pornhub made porn free. You know how they have like the – How nice of them. I know, right? Don't See, worry about an economic boom. You can still jerk it off. I know. They were like everyone's stuck at home. But I think the problem for couples was is that everyone had this high expectation that, oh, they got more time together and they'd be at home and they'd be having sex. And guess what? It didn't happen for a lot of people because they were stuck at home driving each other up the wall. So I think for a lot of people you've got to give yourself a break and just go, you know what, there's more to having good sex than being physically there for one another. There's a, there's a bit of a recipe. And being in these circumstances is actually really difficult. It is hard being with someone all the time because as human beings we do get a lot of our needs met by other people as well. doesn't mean romantically and sexually but throughout the day you've got friends, you've got family, you can talk about your partner to someone, you can talk about frustrations and someone else understands like maybe if your friend understands you on a level that your partner doesn't and that's okay. Yeah. And you, you've lost them now. You were cut off from all of that so therefore you were looking at each other to have all your needs satisfied which is not healthy and doesn't always work. So all of a sudden we saw this frustration go through the roof. When you're frustrated and resentful towards your partner, guess what? You don't want to have sex with them, do you? Yeah, but is that just the woman or is that the man also? I think it's both. I think that we have this myth of like, well, men are always horny no matter what's going on. I'm fairly certain they are. I'm not talking just about myself. I'm just talking as men in general. I know a lot of men that, you know, when they get stressed or they get, you know, emotionally something's going on that they're not able to really be physical with their partner. I don't think it's just women. That's interesting. I think it's men as well. So, you know, all of a sudden we have this kind of recipe for a shitstorm and a lot of people were not having sex and it put a lot of relationships under pressure. Now, I'm not going to say that just because you might be considering divorce now means that you shouldn't because this was also a good test period. You know, you don't really know the strength of a relationship until it is tested. It's actually kind of like business. If your business survived this and you were pivoted. able to – Yeah, you pivoted. <laughs> I <right>? pivoted. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, the sex industry pivoted very well actually. Um, <laughs> like business, if you survive this period, if your relation, relationship survived this period – it's obviously a very good sign that hey, we actually like being together, or that we're but able to manage. Like, yeah. We're able to manage our disagreement. Not or, even like being together, but you're able to work through the conflict. Now, if it didn't survive, it, don't beat yourself up about it because we can't all expect us to have relationships that survive the the test of time. It doesn't work that way. Some relationships are only meant to be in our lives for a certain period of time, mm. and then it doesn't work anymore. So I think this was a good kind of test for a lot of people because as you go through life, like you know, they're talking about a second. Wave. They're talking about maybe never having a vaccine. Our lives might be very different. 
you need a relationship that you can work through these things. What happens if there's another pandemic? You don't want to be in a relationship that crumbles every time there's okay, stress. Okay, so advice on working through it. Oh, you know, one of the problems is that we're not taught about conflict and we're taught to fear it. You know what, you know what you've taught me? A lot today, hopefully. Well, it's vulva, <laughs> but, but that we're not taught about a lot of things. No, we're not. We're taught about nothing. I don't no. use anything I learned from school. Well, whoever told you how to resolve conflict in your relationship besides watching your parents have an argument? Whoever taught you how to have a relationship. Exactly. Or how to sustain a relationship. And that may be very well um, a marriage or a, a partner, but it may also be a business partner or an employee or a um, a client, mm. right? These are relationships. There's we're no relationship studies at school. No, we're not taught about these in general. And it's, I think, a huge part of the problem as, as human beings and how we go about our lives and the relationships we do try and keep. But, you know, going back to in terms of overcoming conflict, I always think pick your battles, um, take a moment to actually work out whether it's a relationship problem or whether it's something's going on in your life. So by that, it's not about blaming yourself, but, you know, sometimes we come home, we have a bad day. And what happens when you have a bad day? You walk through the door and the first person you take it out on, Mm, person you're living with, right, straight away. Now, all of a sudden that turns into a relationship issue when really you just might be having a really tough time and you don't know how to regulate your emotions and you're kind of picked at your partner. Your partner then gets pissed off and picks at you back and all of a sudden, boom, you've got conflict over what? Um, So you've got to sometimes take a moment to go, is there something else going on? Is this actually about my relationship? You then also have to put yourself in the other person's shoes. So if you're going to bring something up, if you go, no, this is a relationship problem, you're going to bring something up. First of all, stop and go, how are they going to feel when I bring it up? Is there another way to look at this scenario? Because it's about finding compromises when we're trying to overcome conflict. Now, in order to to overcome and get these compromises, you need to have that awareness and that hindsight from all different views because we all have needs, right? So there's a, a great analogy actually with mediation, right? Because mediation is all about conflict. So you've got two people that want the orange, right? Both want the orange. What are we going to do? We only have one orange, okay? So you say to one person, well, what do you want the orange for? One person goes, I want the grind to make a cake, okay? You say to the other person, what do you want the orange for? Well, I want the juice because I want orange juice. We've got our compromise, right? Or or someone could have just said, hey, here's a knife, fucking cut it in half. (laughs) Yeah, but maybe that's not enough juice for the person that wants the juice because half an orange is not a cup of orange juice, right? So, you know, when we start to have a look at the problems, like what are our needs here? We've, We've both come home. And we're arguing about the fact that each other doesn't do enough in the house, right? You start to peel the the layers of the onion apart and go, really what it signifies for one person is that they don't feel like they are valued for what they do do. You're arguing at them saying, you just don't do enough. And they're thinking, I do all this stuff and you don't value me. Really what it's about is being valued, not about housework. So it's kind of looking at this from all sides to work out where is the, the compromise. But the biggest thing when it comes to this conflict is if you are having the same arguments over and over again with different words and we tend to get into these behaviour patterns, then you need to somehow break that and look at what's really going on because someone might be resentful and they're holding on to something or there's another issue going on in the relationship and it manifests in these smaller ways but technically it's the same argument. I could write out, right, going through a period of nearly a year, I could write out exactly what the circle of events were with me and my partner when we were having arguments. It was like clockwork. And once you can step back from that and go, ha, what's really going on here? Is it the surface level issues 
Or am I holding on to something that I'm a bit pissed about and I haven't been actually voicing that effectively? Yeah, but what I like what you said was, am I angry at my partner because of something they did or I'm already fucking angry and my partner just pissed me off because of something they did. And that's a very important distinction. And that's a very (laughs) – I love love trying to bring you back to business. But that's a very (laughs) important distinction. We can always find that segue. Yeah, but it's a very important distinction because let's say you own a business you had a shit day and you get home and your partner's nagging you about something and you're like, whether it be male or female, and you and you uh, get angry at them, right? You're not angry at them. They didn't actually do anything wrong. You're just angry in general and they just happen yeah, the to outlet. be there. Yeah, They're they the just, scapegoat. Exactly. But and you, that's a you big difference. They didn't piss you off. No, but I think it's important if you want to relate this to business, I think it's actually really important to understand what your partner's work life is like. Uh, and I'll I'll give you a personal example and I never talk about my personal life but I've had probably two glasses of wine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, my partner's a builder and he's normally running around all over the place and recently he's working on one project. I'm actually able to go to that side and see what he does and all of a sudden I've gained this insight when he says to me I'm exhausted. I've actually been able to see why because he's physically, not only is he managing everything but he's physically doing this, this house, this project. So... When he comes home and he's like, oh, I'm just ratcheted, I understand it. It doesn't mean I use it as an excuse for any bad behaviours, but I kind of know, all right, take a few steps back, let him have a shower, calm down and know that he needs to be in bed early and up early and I work, he knows I work my best hours at night time. So I'll stay up sometimes at night time and do the rest of my work and he respects that that's how my work done in the same short time space. So would you recommend that you bring your husband to work, eh? <laughs> or your wife. <laughs> Come see what I do. Um, yeah, or well, your I, wife. I think it's important that you communicate around what the expectations and what your stresses are with your work. You know, make sure that you include your partner, that they understand what ticks you off, you know, where are your triggers, what your struggles are so that if you do come home, and this is not a gender-specific thing to say that it's like just a husband or a man, a man, but your partner does come home, then you need to have that level of understanding there or when you say to your partner, I've had a tough day, that there is that level of understanding why. I mean I do get when you're absolutely mentally exhausted and someone comes to you with a problem and you're like, oh, my God, my brain's going to yeah, explode. And that's the kind of things. Like I've, re- I've done my book recently and my partner has seen how much pressure my work can be and not – it was the sweetest thing. He bought me um, ear pods because we were renovating at the same I- the same time. It, whatever, AirPods. Uh, we were renovating at the same time and it was driving me up the wall because I'd be there on my laptop and he'd be like jackhammering oh, so something. So we got you the soundproof ones. So we got you the soundproof ones and I was like, oh, honey, that's so sweet. He's a genius. I know. But, but um, what about the amount of times a couple should be having sex? Oh, this is my most basis. loathed question. Yeah, I know, but um, it's also probably <laughs> the most common question you ever see. Completely, yeah. yeah. Because that seems to be the like – KPI. <laughs> but this is the pro- okay. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you said it like that, because the problem is with asking that question. What you are looking for is a level of normality when it comes to sex. So you're looking at some goal of how many times a week you should have sex with your partner, so that you can feel like you have a successful relationship against some norm. Because if it's under that, then you would say maybe your relationship is not so successful. Right, if you're not having sex yeah, okay, at a look, certain I, point. Like, I, get, I get your whole thing like, oh, there's no normal and all that type of thing. I get that, whether it be gender, whether it be sex and count. But there would be 
a statistical average There's of a number common. of t- yeah okay but so pro- that would okay. be the benchmark but the because problem, that's the average well, yeah but who wants to be average with their sex life like that's what I okay well fuck more than that that's not my point but that's my what I'm saying is, you can have more sex but the point is okay if you've been in a long term relationship and you're wondering how much sex you should be having I'd say 95% of the time you're not having as much sex as you should be having because we place sex down the bottom of the list of importance. It's like oh, we work at all these other things and, yeah, we've got a sex life and we'll do it tomorrow and next week and next whoa, week. Whoa, whoa, What do you mean by that? So what I mean is that in general we actually need to be placing a lot of importance on our sex life in relationships, right, especially in relationships. It is one moment that you can be presently with each other, you can connect, you can experience pleasure, you have the hormonal effect of well as bonding you know you release that oxytocin you feel closer to your partner Mm -hmm. for a lot of men and women they feel more attractive and sexier and desired when they're having sex with their partner but it's also that connection that occurs that I think is so important and you really can only achieve that level of closeness and connection by being physical with each other I'm not talking about the act of penetration I'm just talking about physically with each other so what happens is that people tend to let that slip and not work at that sexual boredom comes in hectic life comes in and then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you can't remember the last time you had sex do you think that people have that maybe they put sex on too much of a pedestal whereas oh if i'm gonna have sex i'm gonna make it like wow it's the type of sex it doesn't have to be like sometimes you can just be simple Do you know, so, but it's like, okay. it doesn't have to, like, Can I have that sound bite, right? This is the <laughs> ultimate line of the of the day. Uh, that, Sometimes that you just sense. slip it no. in. No, it's just like you're watching TV or you, it doesn't have to be like or you're having a shower. Like, it doesn't have to be like but a big like. But it's the why. It's the why do you have sex. So if you stop, instead of asking how many times a week you should have sex, you stop and you say, why do I have sex with my partner? Like why do I really have it, right? Some people it gets them to sleep at night. It's a stress relief. But most people mm. say, you know what? I like to feel close and connected with them and I like to have that pleasure with no, them. I like think it that's feels the main good. Reason. I really, I so really therefore, do. if you look at the why, then you start to look at the different acts that you can do to achieve that. It doesn't necessarily have to be penetration. It just might be getting to bed 10 minutes earlier, getting your clothes off and like just having a, a bit lot. of a kiss and a Why explore. do I need to have sex right now? Yeah. Now, it's if, not that but I just if you need answer the connection and the pleasure, then why aren't you having it more? And take it outside of the bounds of this stiff definition that we've given sex of a man has to put an erect penis into a vagina and start to look at if it's pleasure and if it's connection. But that is what sex is. No, it's not. What is sex? Okay, so there's a Kinsey study that says that I think it's about 80 Wow, I am of just us. obviously useless. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is why I'm a sexologist Shit. and you're in charge of the business stuff. Can we can we, no, you be on retainer. <laughs> I'll be on, you know, I've just lived down the road. I'll just be on the yeah, phone and be like, listen, I don't know where this, what I'm doing here. Um, okay, so definition Where's this of- this thing you were mentioning? <laughs> definition of sex. Okay, so everybody can't define on what the term had sex is. So what they did is they had a look at, okay, let's see if generational, like we can come up with a definition and it, they kind of busted that out of the water and go, hang on, people can't define what it is to have sex because you might classify ha- – having had sex as a penis entering a vagina. Same-sex couple, like two men, might classify sex as oral sex or anal sex. Two women will classify 
oral sex as sex. So what's to say that the type of sex that you're having should be seen as superior as opposed to how two women well, maybe are having my, sex? Well, maybe that type of sex is the real actual sex. The one no, that, no, 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 no. Maybe no, that's no, the one no, that the no, actual no. word was created for no, and no, no, that's no. the definition no, and the others no, no. are not and therefore maybe they're called oral sex. No, no. That doesn't mean they're no. sex. what it is is there's different types of sex. So the type of sex that you classify as Wait, sex if is I type, PBI. I'm, I'm, I'm getting the – Okay. iPad out right now okay. and I'm going to type P- sex P- and we're going to look right? what penis, it actually stands penis for. Penis vagina sex. You can have manual sex, which is fingers, PVI, penis vagina sex, anal sex, penis vagina sex. No, oh, sorry, penis vagina intercourse. There you go. PVI. But this is the thing. If you go back to the idea of why am I having sex, okay, I'm having sex because I want to experience pleasure, because I want to feel connected with my partner, then who said that you have to put a penis in a vagina for that to be sex? Well, because otherwise it's foreplay. Yeah, but this is where we've got to challenge those definitions. I actually, I've looked well, a lot. The, I don't the, agree the, with the definition. No, no, but you, it says you're right. It says Wikipedia sexual, is sexual, fake. Well, no, it says you're right. It is Google and, I mean, fake. pretty like <laughs> fake news. Fake news. Yeah. I agree with but Trump no, on one well, thing. Well, he's, 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 Google, if it was a guy, is saying that sexual activity, including Specifically, say, oh no, I'm fucking right. Sexual intercourse. No, yeah, but what website was that created by? And who Google. created that? No one's smarter than Google. I am, and I, I would beg Except to differ. Except for you. <laughs> I would, no, I would definitely beg to differ because this is the thing when it comes to, and I, and I feel like I've, well, I think what you're I've saying. unleashed something with you, right? Is that you need to let go of all these backwards these sex boundaries. education. I feel just bound right Ex- now. But this is exactly tied right. Up. You need, <laughs> not tied up, but you need to let go of all these backwards terminologies and ideas mm. and start to stop and look at as a society, how do we actually function sexually? Because we are, interestingly have a lack of edge of research in this industry. So trying to write a book about female sexuality and because I have an academic background, I can read research. The amount of times I would go through research and stuff that I thought had been conclusive, I would find this not lines, actually no, we we wow. don't even know really what the female sexual body is made up of. We don't actually know. There's data out there to say that we don't have a G spot. We have a zone, an area. Yeah, I would agree with that. But, and I'm not but even there's a no, but there's not even research to actually support what female sexual. So why do you think male uh, knowledge, the the understanding of males, because of sexuality, patriarchal? Yeah, is that because most doctors are men, or uh, in the past it, they have it, been it's, men? But it's it's the it's this idea of, you know, when you you go back into the religious side of things, you know, men were the ones in control, men were the ones that were dominant sexually, and women were there to please men and have babies. So we've always seen studied the man. Yeah, we've always seen male sexuality is paramount. I mean, you have a look in in this day and age, you can get Viagra so easily. We still don't know whether women have a G spot or not, or if it's a G zone. How many different types of medication are there on the market for erections and you know? I guess it's ejaculation. just more obvious. If it's not up, it's not up. But it's it's not more obvious. It's just the fact that we've placed it as a priority. I mean, well, again, back to if most men were doctors, that would be the priority. <laughs> That's it. Especially if you're like a – The medical fraternity is very much focused towards male sexuality. Mm. So we need more female focus. I agree. I love that. Definitely. And so what do you think the biggest issue with female sexuality is today? Lack of education and well, that's your issue with everything today. <laughs> but but it the- really is. I mean, you think about women don't even understand really how their bodies work. So if we don't understand how our bodies work, 
How then do we do communicate that, that to the people that we're having sex with? We don't know if there's actually a G spot or a We don't know if there's a G zone. We're not taught to masturbate. We're not taught to touch ourselves. We're not, you know, female ejaculation. It's all this interesting data out there. Some people say that this is how you do it. Other people say, no, this is not how you do it. And some people say everyone's capable of it. You know, this is the interesting thing. The point is, we need more education on women, uh, research, sorry, on the female body and, um, would you say more freedom towards more freedom? Empowerment em- is the word. Yeah, but I hate that word. Everyone uses no, it. It's I, just a sucky word it, now. It works for this context, right? Because it works for every context. You need empowerment in order to say to people, it's okay to explore this. It's okay to touch yourself. It's okay to explore your sexuality, right? You can use the word normalizing sexuality, but then I have issues with the word normal in yeah, general. Yeah, I agree because then you're saying other people aren't normal. Yeah, so it's saying empowered. Oh, no. This idea, I love this term empowerment because I feel like we are the age of empowerment. We're empowering all these people. I mean, look at what we're doing at the moment, you know, politically and Spreading COVID everywhere. <laughs> well, I'm more talking about the political Black Lives Matter yeah. stuff, but we're empowering people with education. We're saying, hey, are you aware of this and are you aware of that and you're aware of what's going on? It's the same thing that we need to do when it comes to other aspects of our life, like sexuality, is we're saying to these generations, are you aware of how your body works? Are you aware of what goes on sexually? Well, and evidence of it is um, Playboy. Uh, we, no. It's just, it's just Let's just cover thing. every subject. Well, we've we got to finish because Laura keeps telling okay. me to wrap it up. She's literally <laughs> waved very, to me for this is a This is a road trip podcast. Yeah, but I'm pretty keen to keep going. Like, yeah, I've done road trips where it's like you turn on podcasts and you just listen the whole way to the Yeah, well, we've got someone in Melbourne. So, <laughs> yeah. so let's just finish. So after this, we'll, we'll wrap up with something. But Playboy got yeah. huge because in a suppressed American, a sexually suppressed American society, where going to college, finding your wife, getting married, having kids, the white picket fence, the the, the woman does the um, housewife, and the man goes to the office and that type of thing. That was while it was normal. It was not actually what people wanted and wasn't normal and playboy got so big because it said hey wait a second you don't need to do that and it it basically educated people sexually was obviously men educating Mm -hmm. but it had a huge boom mind you there was no internet back then so it was a low-cost way to get um to see boobs but (laughs) but it had a huge um maybe that should be your next business like a women's playboy like no, not Each, I've got a I've got an edition of Playgirl. It never really worked. Is there a Playgirl? Well. There used to be. I don't know if it's still in. Anyway, my point was <laughs> my point was I think I feel like that was a part of Playboy's success was the fact that it educated people on sexuality and made something. It, it, it gave sex a voice in a period of time when it didn't, mm. and that's very much what you're 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 not giving it a sex a voice in a time when it doesn't have it because it definitely has it but i think what you're doing is you're better equipping people with the knowledge and understanding of other people's differences towards sex for example all the stuff you taught me and <laughs> and evolve, evolve, and evolve. i think that's an incredible i think that's an incredible thing you're doing and i, I think you. it's so important and it's um, it's important that today everyone feels comfortable no matter who they are what they feel like what they're doing how they like to have sex or who they like to have it with Oh, yeah. how they and what sex they gender. feel like when they're doing it. What but, they, yeah, what gender that they decided yeah, they want to be. Whatever, who cares? Do you and I'm do me, and I think that's an important message. And I feel like that's the one you're pushing. And I feel like um, you're doing a fantastic job at, at doing it. And maybe would you like to um, would you like to leave the listeners? 
who are like, what? This was like this half business, such, half this sex. This was such a random episode, yeah. but I oh, like I, it. I can get that, that, that's what I love about sex. Yeah. Everyone's addicted to it. Yeah. This will have the highest episode viewing. I want of, that. Like, let when, me, yeah. It, I'm Listen, gonna, I'm, I'm, share, I'm gonna, follow. I'm going to make sure that. Forward. I wouldn't even have forward. <laughs> anyway, leave the listeners okay. with something. One last thought to educate people with, but also I want one last little fact or tip or something about sex. Um, okay, my tip is going to be, I think my last tip is lubricant. Um, let's give a practical tip. I feel like lube is the one thing in society that we don't place enough importance on. So if you have a look at safer sex practices, right, little tip of lubricant inside the condom will mm-hmm. reduce its friction as well as outside. There's the myth that women are automatically supposed to just look at somebody and get wet and we're ready for sex. Yeah, that's awesome. Doesn't mean – well, yeah, it doesn't mean if somebody – but everybody has a <laughs> everybody has a different level of self-lubrication, right? So we are the society that's gone longer, harder, faster because mm. of porn. Um, you don't want to damage, you know, someone's vulva area. Um, if you look after it, you can have more sex and experience more pleasure. So you need to be able to use lube, you know, even anal sex. Definitely you need to be able to use more lube. It allows for things to slide easier, become more sensitive. So lube, 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 um, but being very careful about the ingredients in the lube. So I'm very big on um, especially in the adult industry, the chemicals that we use, um, what we use on our body, um, because there is a lot on the market that do you, you need to be careful of. Do you know Four Seasons condoms? I do. And, well, one of my very good friends. I know who you're talking about. The very handsome Michael Porter. Yes. God, yeah. isn't he gorgeous? I was at his farm this weekend. Aww. I went and visited. Had a, had if a he's listening, he's such an attractive man. He's going to listen. He, but one thing he did, because obviously he's gay, mm. one thing he did. Really? I didn't know. <laughs> well, no, well, a lot of no, people I did No, I did. I know his time. fiance. Yeah. 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 Billy. Yeah. And um, they made a gay package that had lube in it. Yeah. With a condom wise. or something like that, which is pretty wise. But very that's wise. something only a gay person yeah. in the company would have figured out. Yeah. Lube, lube, lube. Lube it up. Now, that's my tip. My last thought I think is challenge everything you ever thought was normal about sex and continually ask yourself why and where did it come from? That is the best way to continue to navigate through this world where everything starts to change and you feel like it's more complex. You know, like you were having these ideas about gender and, and so forth. You need to kind of question, well, where did that come from and why do I think that? We are still learning so much about this industry, right? We are still discovering and we will continue to discover. So really what it's about is unlearning a lot of the negative myths and beliefs that we had when we were growing up because we didn't have that information, we didn't have that education and starting to adapt more in society with actually how people are living their lives sexually. Instead of holding on to these ideas, listen to the people around you and if you get that idea in your head or that thought or that message of, oh, that's wrong, or that's not the way that it should be, stop and ask, where did that come from and why? A great example, um, I remember when I was dating and this group of girls were out for dinner and they said, you shouldn't have sex with someone until you've had five dates with them. And I was like, okay. Not not that I believed that. I know, but they still believe that. And Good on them. I respect that. I don't. Because yeah, well, I don't say I would it's, date them. I just like, said I respect why, it. Why that number? If you want to wait, wait. If you don't want to wait, don't want to wait. But know the risks and, you know, assess the consequences. So in that circumstance, I thought I'll put my sexologist cap on and I go, so why is it that you think that it's, yeah, bing. Why is it that you think that it's five dates? Oh, just because that's the way that it should be. Okay. 
So you see what I mean is that we have these ideas and these beliefs that we hold on to as norms. And as soon as you stop and go, why and where? We can start to free ourselves and our mind as to thinking about human sexuality in a lot, lot more different ways. But if your why is because I don't want to have sex with him the first five dates, then that's fair There's enough. your answer. But if you if want you to can't get laid that, on the first one, do it. Yeah, but if you can't answer why or where or, or your why or where is because somebody told me or I read it in a yeah. magazine, then you should question that. Yeah, but if it's because I but want that's your decision to respect, yeah, yeah, I want that's him to respect me. It's not just about sex. I actually want you, to. You can have sex on the first date and still be respected. 100%. But that doesn't mean. <laughs> that's my little oh, son. Well, that's a whole other argument. I know. I've got to come back for another I agree. Yeah, we will because I agree with that. But uh, there's also uh, evidence yeah. towards the negative. But Bloody um, men. <laughs> have sex on the first date because it's awesome. Um, and thank you so much, Dr. Nikki. Thank you for having me. Everyone, please go to Dr. Nikki shop. Yep. To get all, all the your dildos best and your dildos, vibrators, vibrators and cock rings. all the things that are going to make your home life as good as your work life. <laughs> yeah, get your lubes on there too. I get all Lube the good. I got all the good lubes, like the body safe ones and stuff like that. Ones yeah. you can use with sex toys. Love it. Get them. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening, and thank you so much for coming on. Thanks.